0: Hey everyone, you are now tuning into The Rebecca School Listener, a podcast for Rebecca School, which is a therapeutic day school for children ages 3 to 21 with neurodevelopmental delays of relating and communicating, including those on the autism spectrum. My name is Chris Hernandez, media specialist here at The Rebecca School, and I will be your host as we journey into the daily lives of those who work here. Enjoy. So handwriting is a skill that most people write off as a boring skill, but like a necessary skill in a child's development. So I'm here with two really innovative co-workers of mine who co-run a handwriting group together. So I'm going to give them this brief moment to introduce themselves.
1: My name is Allison Johnson, and I'm an occupational therapist. Hi, I'm Kara Bernstein. I'm a head teacher.
0: And so I just wanted you guys to give like a brief description of the class, give us an introduction.
1: Um, sure. So we started with our handwriting group. It was actually last year, last summer. It was a different group of kids in Kara's classroom, but it was kind of a group that we wanted to push, that we felt like we could do a little bit more structured academic skills with them. Um, so we started this group and we actually had two separate groups as we had kids at very different capacities. Um, Then this past fall, um, Kara's Classroom has a new group of kiddos and they also are functioning at different capacities but we still wanted to have a type of structured group um, as some of them do have the skill level to handwrite where others are in that pre-handwriting stage Um, but really like with our group we wanted to like foster a really good group activity for them to do. Along with that, as an OT in our profession, handwriting is often talked about, especially as a school-based OT. It comes up a lot in every parent conference. Parents want it addressed. It's an important skill for school-age children. Um, I felt like it was something that is important. So in a way of how are we going to address this for our kids that have underlying deficits which affect handwriting. So that was another big reason of why we formed this group. Also, previously in courses that I've taken when I took a handwriting without tears course it was really educational I learned a lot I got a lot of stuff I came home with a whole bag of everything and I tried it with the students that I mentioned last year that were in Kara's classroom previously and I was trying to stick very very by the book using the handwriting without tear without tears tools which was developed by an OT so I felt like I had to use it very strictly in the way that it's supposed to be used But I kind of found myself struggling, I found that the kids weren't engaged, they weren't attuning to myself, they weren't attuning to each other, let alone to the activity or knowing that there was an activity happening. So that was kind of when I was like, this needs to change, it can't just be this rigid program that I'm using, I need to adapt it to fit our floor time model here and to fit our kids the best.
0: So tell our listeners about Handwriting Group now, Uh, because you told us how it got started, So tell us about how you guys co-run it now and what it sort of looks like.
1: So today handwriting group is a really big sensory base group that Kara and I run together once a week. Um, It is in the morning right after they have morning meeting, they transition to the table. We start every handwriting group the exact same. So it's repetitive, it's rhythmic. We do two activities every single week. Uh, We start with hand exercises, as there are differences in children with ASD versus typically developing kids in terms of their hand strength, that in terms of developmental uh, growth, so crawling, for example, this all kind of ties into everything, and you wouldn't really think about this. So crawling, we talk about a lot in development and weight-bearing onto your hands. So why you have a lot of the creases in your palms is because as an infant, you were crawling around. And through that, you are exploring your world and through that you are trying to reach and grab for objects so that reaching and movement and manipulation of your hands is what aids in grip strength and is which what creates these creases in your palms, right? So we have these creases and we're able to manipulate, manipulate small pieces and that's why we were able to have adequate motor skills and fine motor skills to do things. Whereas our kids kind of struggle with that along with motor coordination, visual spatial skills, visual perceptual skills which all goes into handwriting. So in a sense, what we kind of did with this group was like take it way, way, way back and working on those foundational skills like hand strength. So we start with literally hand strengthening exercises, putting our hands together, pulling them apart, squeezing them, moving them. We then go into a Play-Doh activity. So using Play-Doh, also providing resistance, which helps in strengthening Um, It's the same format every time. We then go into a visual activity in which, with the Play-Doh, they roll out lines with the Play-Doh and then they form, what we started with was them forming just the first letter of their name. And it was with a visual aid as well. So they had an A in front of them and then they were able to put the Play-Doh on there. And I think something that has really worked with the structure that we found is the repetitiveness of it but also that it took so long for them to get to a point where they're able to do these activities almost on their own with less cueing from us. And we started this group, like really got it going in like October consistently in the beginning of the year. And we've come to a point where they're able to successfully get through it, be a part of it, co-lead it with us sometimes. And I think their confidence has really built because of how rhythmic and repetitive it is.
0: And so how about you let our listeners know how floor time ties into handwriting group?
2: So in our group, um, we're working on capacities one and two. So shared attention, regulation, relating and engagement, and to foster the shared attention, regulation, relating and engaging, we're sitting in a circle as a community. We're also using low and slow affect during the group, as well as rhythmic and predictable singing to promote the regulation. So, also for floor time, we follow the child's lead, we allow them to ask questions, we're making it fun by using our interests, and as um, Allison was saying before, we use Play-Doh, which is a really big hit in my classroom, um, which ties into the handwriting group.
0: So, I actually want to touch base on following the child's lead, if you can just explain that a little bit more, um, because I see, I've noticed that people tend to get confused when we use the terms like follow the child's lead. And everything, so just I guess like provide an example as to what following a child's lead
2: would so, be. So one of the chi- uh, children may not be want to sit at the table for that long, so they'll get up. Um, but we'll use we'll use our affect, we'll use sing songs to get them coming back to the group, so they want to rejoin our group. Um, or if uh, the, whatever we're doing in that moment, um, we may use different techniques that the child needs in that moment to have the child join our group. So Mm -hmm. for one of my students, um, we may put the work on the wall so that it
1: engages them more. One thing I was actually just thinking about is with handwriting. So I'm thinking of two kids in our group that have actual handwriting ability skill that can form letters. But in terms of what they write and making it the most functional, it's not always the most functional. So one of our students really likes to write about a YouTube character that he watches and things like that or apartment numbers so things that he really really likes but when he is writing them let's say he's not easily engaged he's not connected he's not related and he doesn't really want you joining him in it so during handwriting group a way to follow a child's lead for example could be after we've completed our exercises and our Play-Doh activity, when we actually do do real skill-based handwriting, like on a piece of paper, could be, my favorite show is, my favorite YouTube show is, my favorite, um, or I like to look at apartment numbers, or I like to know who lives in apartment numbers, I like to know my friend's addresses. So that could be a way in which, one, we're still using their passions and their interests for them to actually work on a skill, And not only that, but just making it more functional in a sense that then if he wants to write about a YouTube show that he watches or the apartments that he likes or his apartment or he has a lot of things memorized, it also becomes a shared activity among his peers so that we all can go around the table and talk about, oh, my favorite show is this, I like to do that, I like to do this. I think that is the way in which a child's lead is followed within a floor time model. It's not necessarily like, oh, like someone's writing like, Just within a handwriting group, that I'm thinking 20 numbers, or they're just writing an apartment address over and over again. That's not functional, nor is it beneficial to the child in a sense because he's not regulated at that point. He's not connected to you. So that's not what we're trying to foster in anything that we do here. So I think when we talk about following the child's lead, it's not a free for all, which I think that gets confused about a lot within the floor time model. And it's not just, oh, you can do whatever you want, but it's more taking their interests and their passions and what they like. And integrating it to anything that you do academically, integrating it into your handwriting group or into Mm -hmm. reading and things like that. And I think that is what keeps our kids motivated and motivated to come to a group in the sense that we're not, as adults, putting pressure on them to do something or tell them what to do or like, you have to write about this, you have to do that, or you have to make this perfect. It's using what they enjoy and their interests and integrating it into an academic activity. And then that's when they're able to blossom because they're like, oh, like you're using what I like. I actually want to be here and I'm actually going to be able to learn something and you're going to be with me while we're doing it. Right. We're, all, we're making the interactions more meaningful than it just
2: being the task that Allison mm-hmm. was just saying. And also um, I wanted to add that while we the kids are doing the rolling of the Play-Doh, the adults are also joining in. So we're making it more of a community. Mm-hmm.
0: That was beautiful, guys. That, that was really great. That was a great explanation. Thank you for clarifying that. I want to move on to academics and I I, I want you to explain to our listeners how academics play into this handwriting group.
2: So for students in my class it's more of learning letter awareness having a deeper understanding of what letters are and we'll build on each of them so we introduce new letters for their names and eventually words and then even eventually sentences. So in my classroom we do follow, for the most part, handwriting without tears. The basic, with the rolling of the Play-Doh and the formation of letters using the Play-Doh, which teaches kids how letters are formed, which helps them better understand the letters and aids them in remembering the letters. So for morning meeting, we are writing, we sign in our names. So we're singing a song that matches the letter to the song, so when they're writing the letters, they're also hearing the letter that they're writing. So that's how we're putting academics within our handwriting group.
0: and Allison I want you to talk a little bit more about how sensory ties into the handwriting group
1: sure so before, okay so before I answer that I just want to talk about some things that our kids have dif- difficulties with which is why we do work on handwriting in a sensory motor based group so um, a lot of our kids struggle with visual-spatial skills, visual-perceptual skills, executive functioning, motor coordination. So if our kids struggle with gross motor coordination, so meaning gross motor movements, big movements, running, jumping, climbing, if they have difficulty in that, they're also going to have difficulty in their fine motor skills, so your really hand, finger, wrist movements. So what we do here, before I address how sensory plays into our handwriting group, To support our kids in kind of those underlying deficits, difficulties that I just mentioned. We kind of have to get them in a good foundation to address those. So a lot of our kids, actually all of our kids in Kara's class, they receive a ton of sensory input throughout their whole day. As I mentioned before, so if they have difficulty in a gross motor movement, they won't be able to do a fine motor movement or have any kind of refined movement in their hands and fingers. So as development goes from like your core, your trunk area, and it goes out to your fingers in strength. So we address that all the time. So our kids get a lot of sensory support So through their sensory diets. So therapeutic brushing is something that we do consistently throughout the day here. It addresses your tactile system. And it also helps increase body awareness, which our kids struggle with. So if I'm brushing your arm or your hand or your leg, and I'm giving you input into that specific area, that's going to help you realize where your body is in space. So also, if you're doing a big movement, an animal walk, or anything that you're weight-bearing onto your hands. You're getting input into there. You're also strengthening your shoulders, your arms. You're also strengthening your core, which you need to be able to sit up in a chair and hold yourself up. So those are kind of how we address those underlying things, or doing a scanning, a visual scanning activity. A lot of our kids have difficulty with eye-hand coordination, so doing any type of visual activity, like an eye spy game, or when they're setting something up the sensory gym, or even when they're just playing a floor time activity. Those are all supporting their underlying difficulties, which also affect handwriting. So in our handwriting group, sensory is incorporated into everything that we do. So our movements that we start with in the beginning, um, our hand exercises that we started with, I said hand exercises specifically, but it actually is a whole body exercise. As we start with stomping our feet on the floor, which gives them a lot of... Um, input up through their big joints. So that's increasing their body awareness as well. So everything that we do is sensory. The Play-Doh, as as Kara said before, it was just a really big hit that when we kind of first started, we were like, oh, this is working and they're not leaving the table and they like it and they're touching it and they're playing with it. So that was also incorporated into the group. Uh, The kids also benefit a lot of the time from like deep pressure benefit from somebody even just like being next to them giving a little bit of like tactile support to complete something also kind of what you mentioned before about like following the child's lead I think Kyra touched on this too groups are hard for our kids a lot of the times staying in groups and being in groups I mean it makes sense because groups are unpredictable kids are unpredictable our a lot of our kids seek out predictability throughout the day so a lot of our kids struggle with groups and being in groups so especially a group like this that Not that the demand is more, but I do think there's kind of like a connotation towards kids inherently about handwriting, that it's going to be difficult. Um, I mean, one of our kids one time was like, oh, we're doing this again. It's so hard. So, and I think we supported him through that and just saying like, it is so hard. And like, you worked so hard last week. I I know you can do it again to build his confidence. So what we kind of said before about following the child's lead. So if a child wants to stand up and do the activities... Or maybe like stand a little bit to the side that's also following the child's lead in a functional sense that even though if a child is standing up or standing to the side that doesn't mean that they're not connected and not engaged with you at the same time so I think that's a big part of it too is supporting their needs and their individual differences so if I was gonna tell that student to sit in a chair That's not respectful, because obviously he's communicating to me that he needs to stand up and that he needs to get some movement into his body, but he's still connected and engaged and wants to be in the group. So that's my way of respecting their sensory systems and what they need. Or, for example, another week, um, a student who was kind of presenting in a little bit of a dysregulated state, I don't know what happened before, maybe something in morning meeting, and he came to handwriting group because you we know, have really said this, it's become a very motivating group for the kids. Um, I walk in the classroom and they're like ready to go at the table, which is like amazing. And he was a little upset about something. I'm not sure what, but he came and completed the whole group and did everything sitting on the floor behind me. And I thought that was kind of a really great moment in the sense of him communicating to us, like I'm not ready to be at the table I can't do it here, but I want to be here with you still. So I'm going to sit behind you, block some things out visually because I can't take in everything right now that's happening in the group, but I'm still going to be here. So I think also just respecting our kids' sensory profiles and knowing them and knowing what they're communicating at that time is also how sensory is incorporated into the group.
2: Yeah, and I feel like what Allison was saying, like relationships are like a main like key for floor time, and having that relationship with the kids makes the kids want to come to the group and be involved in the group and engage in the group.
0: As someone who not only has videotaped and not videotaped but recorded your your groups and also attended uh, your presentation at our regional conference, I basically lived through this and watched it all, not all of it, but most of it come together in the end. And I really think that it's, you're, you're, you're creating a lot of beautiful interactions here, especially through a, not only fundamental, but a really hard skill to learn. Um, and I, I think that that's really, really great. And so we're a little pressed for time right now. So I'm going to push on, uh, to our final question which is how do you manage to bring students together at the table? And the reason why I ask that is because, you know, many of the students are, of course, operating within different capacities. So they, they're they not, I, I know most of them may not be ready to meet each other at the same level, um, but you guys still manage to put this group together and have everyone completely engaged.
2: So even though we're working on... In- Capacities one and two throughout our group the children that are at the higher capacities we start with the same two activities for the whole entire group and our third activity what we introduce usually it's a themed activity we will make it to each child's developmental level and what they they can work at so for instance if um, once two of my students are able to write so we'll have prompt saying I did Yesterday, over the the weekend, I did dot, 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 and have them write something that they did, whereas the other students may just draw a picture of what they did, or write the first letter of what they may have done, and then we talk about it.
1: Or even if the child isn't a full, like, independent writer, as Kara said, we have two kids that are independent writers, it could also be, so with, like, a prompt, or saying, like, over break, I did, and then if they say a word, the teacher could, like, write the word out, and then they can trace it. Also, going back to what you said before, though, Chris, about um, the group, how we got everyone to come to the table, because in the beginning, not everybody did, and I think that's important to touch on, too. When I think
0: we, that's, like, the most important thing, because right. I don't think anyone outside understands that groups don't start out, like, this picture-perfect, like, like everyone comes <laughs> to the table, everyone does the exercise, and then every, and it's, like, just all fine it's not picture perfect
1: no it's not and
0: like you know it, it a lot of the times it's like one student may be at the table and all the other students are like i don't want to participate in this but over time it
1: right and i think like that's important to touch on too because right what you're saying before like when karen i presented and things like you know we showed our kind of really good videos and things like that but it's important to touch on when we first start these groups as i was saying before groups are super unpredictable for our kids and our kids struggle with them so Not everybody came to the table. Like, it was not rainbows and butterflies, I guess I would say, when we first kind of started this. And also for Kara and I, it was definitely a learning experience, too. And I think our reflective process and our collaboration of working together is also what has kind of helped make this group successful in the sense that I think I was trying to do too much a little bit. like, so there's another activity I was, like, trying to add, which is, like, a Lazy 8 activity that we do here with our Thinking Goes to School mm-hmm. program. And so I tried to add that in, and, like, that was just, like, kind of too much. So then, like, Kyra was, like, why don't I just do it during-morning meeting? And then, like, it kind of took a little bit, like, off of handwriting group that we're not trying to get through, like, 20 million activities at the same time. And, like, I was trying to, like, push things, and Kara's was, like, I could just do it during-morning meeting. I was, like, oh, okay, great! But, um... So, I think that's an important part too. So, I think really like how it's funny because it's like getting the kids to come to the table, right? But it's like that wasn't really like the goal is to get them to come to the table. Like, it wasn't like you're going to sit at the table right now. But I think it was through how repetitive and rhythmic and our affect and the anticipation of what we do in the group every single time that then our kids kind of know what to expect and then they can then they have something that's predictable. So then they're not as nervous or as scared to come to the table, and that the adults that are with me are going to support me, and that it's not just going to be focused on skill of you forming these letters. So I think that's kind of what gets kids to the table, and when you kind of make it not about getting them to the table is when they come to the table. It's like enticing them and enticing their passion.
2: Yeah, and coming, and going off with Allison was saying, coming to the table, it's also okay if the student... Doesn't come to the Mm -hmm. table, so one of my students is still engaged in the group, but will be on the floor or needs to be in a space where it's not next to his peers, but he's still engaged in the group. And it's okay that he's not at the table, but he is at the table because he is engaged in our group still and he's still doing what we are doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was beautiful. That was great, guys. (laughs) So we've reached the end of our episode. And as usual, at the end of the episode, I give everyone floor time to talk about floor time. So let our listeners know what you guys think is the most important aspect of floor time this month.
2: So I feel the most important part about floor time is building the relationship and following the child's lead, which helps them join our group and want to be a part of what we're doing in the moment.
1: I think that my floor time about floor time. Yes. Okay. My floor time <laughs> about floor time is I think picking up on the subtleties and the cues that our kids communicate to us throughout the whole day. I think that not just in handwriting group but in general I think it's so important because Our kids aren't neurotypical, but it doesn't mean that they're not communicating things to us, and it doesn't mean that they're not going to be respected. And that, I think, is how relationships are formed, how trusting relationships are formed, is when you understand each other's communication. And I think that is so important, and it's so empowering to our kids that they then are able to... I don't want to say rise to the challenge, but I think that they can when they feel respected and they feel like they're being heard and listened to, and then they're like, ooh, I have this great relationship with this person, I'm going to join them in this, and it's going to be okay because they get me, and I think that's something that I've learned um, within this floor-time model and about myself as a floor-timer is when you really kind of step back and you look at what your kids are communicating. Um, you learn a lot and you can grow a lot as a person and help that child also grow developmentally.
0: This has been a really great episode. Um, I want to thank you guys again. So thank you, Allison. Thank you, Kara, for being on the show. Yay! Um, This has been Chris. (laughs) And you've been listening to the Rebecca Listener. Subscribe! Uh, Subscribe. We'll see you guys next time.